The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it is a Thursday. We are talking basketball. We're saying what? And we are going to talk to the legend himself, the yep. jersey that will be retired, yep. number five in your program, number one in your hearts, and number one on the scoring list of ETSU, Timmy Smith. So we'll talk to Tim. Uh, he's going to call in. He'll be here Saturday. We'll celebrate that. So we'll save that. Uh, and all the questions and comments and things I want to go over with him when we get to that part of the show. Right now, though, we will stick with his sport of men's basketball. Last night, ETSU a win over Mars Hill, as expected. Uh, ETSU, another little bit of a sluggish start to get going in the game. Then got kind of things cranking. Then Mars Hill kind of just hung around 10-12 point range. Finally, ETSU put a another 12-14 spot on the board, and then ETSU did what they were supposed to do. Jalen Haynes continues to impress his last three games. He's shooting 73% from the floor, averaging almost 19 a game. And I thought Jaden Seymour was phenomenal in about every aspect last night. He was terrific. And, and kind of, you know, for a team that, had needed a presence like that kind of in the middle of it, a, a connecting piece between the guards, between Struthers and King and Tipler and Jalen Haynes. Um, in that respect, I, I thought it was a breath of fresh air to see him back out there. I really just felt like a more complete team with Seymour on the floor, all of the different things he can do. I don't think he hit a three last night but we saw him taking him in shoot around and right at the end of shoot around and and he can hit that shot um Haynes can hit that shot as well we've seen him take threes and hit threes uh so far this year um just in general I I think he adds a an explosiveness to the front court uh, and an ability to run the floor that just makes that front court as a whole much more explosive and dangerous and that is the strength of this team this year I don't think anybody will uh, get twisted up in knots or, or try to spin you in a different direction. The strength of this group is the big guys. It's Taylor, it's Seymour, it's Haynes, it's Jancic when he's healthy. Um, you know, that that is where this group is going to win games is on the backs of the, the big guys underneath, their ability to step out and occasionally shoot to keep defenses honest. Uh, but they're all so athletic and, and explosive vertically and horizontally uh, that this team is, is going to really need all of them down the stretch, contributing in a big way. 28 of 38 from two last night as a team. It's extremely good. Yeah, 74%. It was 7 of 26 from three. Um, uh, got a little three happy, uh, I think, 15, 16 attempts is about where ETSU needs to be, unless Jordan King or D'Anthony Tipler, who did play again last night, if they, you know, catch a little fire, I mean, let them, let them by all means go out there. But <laughs> – uh, that would be the only thing. They were dominant so much inside. Uh, uh, curious on the 26 attempts, I think. And, and, again, they worked on a few things. They put a new few sets in. We saw the one-three-one defense that they've kind of worked on in practice, but really not in a game yet. they got to saw that in game-like action. So, 
And they rested some guys. Got some guys some good minutes. I thought just the few minutes of like Braden Illick played. He had eight 17 rebounds. minutes for Braden Illick. That's more than he's played all season total to date before last night. That was great. Well, and uh, again, and you hope Jancic comes back, but getting him some reps where he wasn't getting any reps because of Jancic and Hayden eating up all that time at the five position, I think could be key just, again, on the floor, speed of the game, all the things that you can talk about, even if it was against Mars Hill, slightly uh, downgrading opponents than what he'll see the rest of the season for the most part. So I, I thought that was good. I thought actually Justice Smith, who – offensively struggled in that game, mm-hmm. did a lot of things defensively well because he proved he could guard. And I think he can guard really the one through four, uh, to be honest with you. And, uh, I mean, maybe maybe there's a true power forward out there in the Southern Conference. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I can't think of a true power forward that they have that he would have trouble guarding. They pretty much have, you know, a, a lot of wing-type forwards as opposed to power forwards. So, you know, I think Smith, if he can continue to do that defensively, he's going to get more time. I still think the offense will come around. A lot of times when guys come from JUCO or D2 or D3 or whatever the step up is, I think it takes about half a season for the offense to come around. But if you play defensive basketball, you can guard your man. You know, you're good on help defense. You can block out and get rebounds. That's going to earn you some playing time. And you're going to help your team win is the other part of it. Because so much of basketball, and and I'm guilty of this too, is we get caught up in offense. Like, well, what's he shooting? What are his assist numbers? What does he do with this, that, and the other? How are they on, you know, points in the paint? You get obsessed over all the offensive nuances versus the ability of the guys on the floor to play defense. And if you talk to any coach, and especially any Division One coach, they will tell you that an ability to prevent easy buckets is critical to getting on the floor at this level. They want guys that play good defense first, and they will work out how to get you offensive production and get that going. And... I think when you look at somebody like Smith, um, you look at somebody uh, like like Seymour, uh, even. I think he's gotten playing time. He's gotten increased playing time, not just because he's the only guy there anymore or he's the, the best option that you have because of you know everything that went down last year, but uh, because he's legitimately good on both ends of the floor, uh, did a really good job with rebounds and then breakout passes. He let a couple guys down the floor for big plays. The Jordan King dunk was a beautiful pass by Seymour from underneath. Um, I think he's he's just shown the ability to play really solid defense. At DeAnthony Tipler is a guard that will you know get in the guy's hip pocket and swat at the ball and be a problem for teams. Uh, on the perimeter, and that is something that's going to get you more playing time. And Tipler is obviously shooting the ball really well uh, as well, so there's a lot of good coming from that. But yeah, if you're Justice Smith, if you're Christian Shaw, if you're Braden Illick, you need to be playing really sound defense in order to get more trust from the coaches to get more floor time, and I think we saw some things from from Justice in particular, like you're talking about, but from all of those guys, uh, I think they they took advantage of an opportunity to build towards something with Coach Oliver and the staff that says, hey, they might be ready for a little bit more when we get into a game against a D1 opponent like Asheville in a couple weeks or Jacksonville State on Saturday even. Yeah, and we're getting ready to transition into that. The last thing I kind of wanted to touch on was I thought it was – 
good to see Alan Struthers. It's the second time in three games he's had seven assists. And he got off to a sluggish start. He's had a little bit of the turnover bug kind of bite him. Well, the whole team's had that. That's true. That's unfair just to single him out. But I think he had one assist to three turnovers to start the game. And then he went six turnovers, one uh, six assists, one turnover the rest of the game. So he kind of flipped it the last 30 minutes or so of that contest uh, to be what he can be, which I think is a great distributor of the basketball. Once his shot continues as he's working on it every day and we see glimpses of the offense, but if his offense comes around to the defense and being able to distribute the basketball, going to be a very solid player uh, in a Buck uniform. And so I uh, just wanted to touch base on that as well. Now transitioning into Saturday's game, again, we're going to talk to Tim Smith later on the pod. Uh, we'll talk to him about his career, what's up with him now, but certainly want to relive a lot of ETSU memories, uh, you know, a couple NCAA tournament games. Jacksonville State is the opponent in which we'll do that, so let's talk about them. You know, you look at the one thing that jumps out, they have a common opponent in Elon and uh, got Elon at, at home as opposed to a neutral site. But, I mean, a 25-point win against Elon's a little bit of an eye-opener just as a common opponent because there's sure. really not one um, that we could look at. They're fresh off the Lobo Classic. They're going to have a, a week off, basically, uh, from last Saturday to this Saturday. So they got time to recoup as they played three games in three days, lost to New Mexico, lost in overtime rolling in Colorado, beat North Dakota State. But really, I just go back to that Elon game in which they, they won by 25. So certainly that tells me uh, sort of a comparable opponent. This is going to be a good game Saturday. I, I think this should be a pretty good bowl game because these are two teams that are trying to get back to the standard they set in the last few years. Jacksonville State was an NCAA tournament team last year in the A-Sun. Now, granted, they didn't, Earn it in the traditional sense, right? They were the regular season champions, uh, but uh, Bellarmine won the conference tournament. So, but Bellarmine's not postseason eligible, so they weren't able to go. Uh, Jacksonville State went as the automatic qualifier out of the A Sun. But this is still a program that's been to what is it two NCAA tournaments in the last five six years, and uh, has traditionally been a really strong program. They've gotten off to a little bit of a choppy start this year. They're two and four against Division One opponents. How does that group? come out and play on the road in this environment. I think it's going to be um, a real challenge for that group to get to where they expect to be. And ETSU is kind of the same boat. You know, this is a team that's used to winning lots of these games. It's used to going deep into the postseason in Asheville and then uh, winning SoCon championships and being in the title mix in the regular season late in the year. This is, uh, this is a little bit different territory for them, and they're trying to build towards that. They certainly have a lot of talent. I think if you talk to people just on the street that talk about watch ETSU hoops, that talk about ETSU hoops, they all kind of agree this team's got plenty of talent. If they can all just figure out the best way to, to fit together and maximize that talent over the course of the non-conference schedule and, and get ready for SoCon play. I look at this as a, a game that both teams will use to measure themselves. We often talk about how the Power 5 games are the measuring stick, right? You want to see how what caliber your program is. Those aren't really the measuring sticks because these two teams realistically are in one-bid leagues. You need to see how you stack up against the kind of competition you're going to face in a one-bid league. And ETSU and Jacksonville State are going to face a lot of teams that are similar to each other in their respective conferences. So this is a game that will be the true measure of both of these teams now, what, seven, eight games into their respective season. 
both teams kind of built on rebounding. And I think that's where ETSU has, has made its best headway out of any other stat you go look up. I mean, they've been out-rebounding opponents, been doing it by a large margin. That's Jacksonville State. And Ray Harper, if you're familiar with him, that's sort of how he's kind of built his bread and butter as far as uh, trying to pound the paint. Rebounding sounds familiar, similar how ETSU wants to play this year. So I think it'll be a good test of battle of wills from teams that really want to utilize post-play, want to get – not just the ball in the middle of the paint, but they want to get to the free throw line. And, again, ETSU's been very good other than the the one contest uh, where they struggled at home from the charity strike. For the most part, been very good at the charity strike, very good at getting there, very good at rebounding. I think that game is going to come down a little bit to who's going to win points in the paint and who's going to win the battle of the glass. Now, the other caveat I'll throw out there is ETSU did a better job last night. Again, no offense to Mars Hill, but – not quite the competition at the Division One level of face Saturday against Jacksonville State. So can the Bucks hang on to the basketball? But those are sort of the three key things. And yes, you could probably say that in every basketball game, those are it. I would argue, you know, when you get in Southern Conference and there's certain teams taking 40, 45 threes a game, that is not how it'll break out. But for Jacksonville State and Ray Harper, who last time Bucks played him was at West Kentucky. Yep. Back in 2013, so it's been a while since ETSU has seen Ray Harper coach basketball squad, but certainly it's very easy to see how his style plays up against ETSU. As we get ready to transition to women's hoops, I do have some breaking news. Do we have a news bumper over there? This is breaking news as we tape the pod. This is obviously not a live radio show, but it's live to tape. Oh, I do. We're gonna we're gonna figure it out. Uh, he's got it. He's got it somewhere. He's got it somewhere. The biggest stories, the hard-hitting details, the in-depth investigative reporting you've been craving, all can be found at ESPN, The Athletic, and The Associated Press. Now here's someone not named Adrian Wojnarowski, Ian Rapoport, or Bruce Feldman. His name is Keith Brake, and um, he is breaking the news. We have a report from John Bryce at Football Scoop. Oh, yeah. Citing sources uh, that Wofford will remove the interim tag from Sean Watson and make him their next head football coach. It's been a long time since I've applauded anything Wofford football, especially when uh, Conklin got the job and since he's been there. But I have openly uh, been pulling for Coach Watson to do well. He has done well. I think he has earned uh, that right. And I would assume the players – now there are some players in the portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Landon Parker, the talented wide receiver. Jimmy Wyrick, the quarterback. They're in the portal, and maybe they went in there because they weren't sure who they were going to be the coach. Maybe they come back out. But I think this was a no-brainer, um, really, by uh, Richard Johnson, the AD there, and smart to make that move. I think you would have to have a candidate knock your socks off from outside the bubble of where of, of Wofford football, considering the success of, that Watson had there after in the second half of the year, after the change, after that weird Samford week where the team played pretty hard and still lost by multiple scores. But uh, that is a really solid coaching job that Watson did in the second half of the year. And um, this is, this is yeah, I agree with you. This is a no-brainer. He handled it with grace, number one, and then the way the team 100%, 100%. fought for him, right? Uh, yeah. Or fought for each other. And let's be honest, sometimes – it's it's kind of easy to be the the rallying point 
how it went down. But I, I think this is a, a smart move, and for Wofford, makes the most sense and can bring maybe some stability to what has been a very unstable football program, which is shocking considering how good they were uh, for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, whatever it was, and Mike cares. Oh, I didn't, Keith, I don't know if you knew I could move that fast. You, Yeah, no, you are that a whirling a, dervish. That was a dead sprint of, I don't know, 14 feet. To get your charts? Yeah, 17 feet? How, I mean, it's not, not a lot of feet. I know that. Yes. I have the radio call and you have the TV call of ETSU women's basketball against Vanderbilt. And hashtag old friend for me, Shay Ralph, uh, from her UConn days. I was part of the UConn crew. We didn't interact much, but... Uh, Shea had a great reputation uh, up in stores and a great opportunity presenting itself for her to take over Vanderbilt now in her second season. And that team off to a decent start, uh, dropped a couple of games that Vanderbilt would prefer not to drop, that an SEC team would prefer not to drop. I, I think the loss to Northern Iowa is one that people down here will look at and go, ooh, I, I don't know about that. But UNI is a really good program. Tanya Warren's done a phenomenal job there. Um, the uh, St. Joseph's loss is one that's a little bit of a head-scratcher to me, but uh, this is a group that doesn't play a ton of people. It's a fairly straightforward, I think it's what, I think they, they have nine that they, they play. They only have 12 on the roster. Three are out for the season. Two Achilles, one ACL, which considering women's basketball, you get 15 scholarships and the amount of money the SEC, and especially Vanderbilt, who has at times been a bit of a power of women's basketball, now certainly not Tennessee UConn, but They've been a top 25 team. They've been a team that's, you know, gotten high seeds in the NCAA tournament. So this isn't like, you know, this program is coming from nothing. But the fact that they only had 12 on the roster was a bit shocking. And then they find themselves with just nine. And their best player so far this season in Kaija Harbison didn't even play last game. She's averaging 18 and a half games. So we'll see if maybe an injury bug got her and they're only down to eight. So we'll Ooh. see how this goes. That, that will be interesting, and this will be very interesting for ETSU because I think if the shots start to fall, this is a group that has the mindset and the work ethic and the rebounding ability to get in there with anybody uh, that they will match up with this year. Obviously, it's a very different uh, journey that you're on or challenge that you face with an SEC team because you're facing SEC athleticism, SEC explosiveness, SEC length, um, which is something that they have not matched up with well this year. But then you look at this team, and it's not like they're just overflowing with size themselves. I mean, Sasha Washington, six foot two, she's she starts in the front court. Amari Williams is six foot four, but as a freshman at the North Little Rock, this is not a team that's just going to overwhelm you with its size um, and the guards are certainly quite a bit smaller 5'8", 5'6", 5'7". I think this is a team that ETSU can match up with reasonably well rebounding the ball where they have their strengths and if they are able to get some of the good looks that they've had that just haven't gone in to fall for them they got a shot at this one. Um, is it a, a tall task? Certainly. Is it, a, is it something that's going to require a lot of things to go right? Yes, I just kind of laid that out. 
But this is not something that I think is totally beyond Coach Mock's group. And if they were to pull this one out and match the best start of through nine games of the NCAA era at ETSU, we really got to talk about how special this team is going to be. And, and we're going to have to really seriously revise our expectations for them in the SOCON. Yes, and I uh, we, we will talk about that um, if it gets to that point. One thing Vanderbilt has struggled this year is rebounding, and that has been, as I've talked that, and, and people are like, hey, could you talk about something other than rebounding? I'm like, no, because both – No, because it's both, all this team has right now. And they are very good at it. And if they can control the glass, because you just said what I was going to bring up, why Vanderbilt has struggled with glass, because they're not particularly SEC size that you expect from the women's side. So I think ETSU – has a great chance to control the glass. Now, what Vanderbilt does do well that ETSU does not do well is turnover margin. Mm -hmm. They are plus four, Vanderbilt that is, is plus four turnover margin. That is where I think ETSU, I think, has a great shot to win the glass. And that would be one of the two things that would be tremendous. The second thing is they can't give up easy turnover, live ball turnovers for points off turnovers. I will counter that by saying that a lot of those turnover situations are against pressure and what do you need Jay to press a team for an extended period of time bodies and how many bodies does Vanderbilt have nine if the Harbison, is Harbison is healthy if not then eight so you can't really press with eight Desmond Oliver wants to press and he can't really press with seven eight guys in the rotation the way that he wants to so I think ETSU is going to have a lot more opportunities to walk the ball up the floor, to be a little bit more deliberate, keep the game at a slower pace, and have a chance to grind out possessions, which plays into their hands. So is it is it impossible? No. Is it difficult? Yes. Um, but I also think that there are, there are a lot of factors that are going to make this different from games where ETSU has piled up a lot of turnovers. Uh, you're going to see more opportunities for the Bucks to run their offense and get second-chance opportunities the way they can with Rufus Milner in the paint. If this team hits shots, which is not something that has happened very much this year, but if you can get Kendall Foley to knock down a couple threes, if Courtney Moore can get going offensively to go with the Giselle Thomas and Neve Brown ability to drive the basket, you got a chance. If they don't, if they shoot the ball 30%, 33%, they're not going to win this game, um, and they're probably going to lose by uh, 10, 12, 15 points. But if those shots go in, this is a fourth quarter ball game. Vanderbilt's averaging 73 points a game. Do you want to know what ETSU's basketball record when they've given up 70 or more? Uh, it's zero and something. Two, because they have two losses. Zero yes. and two. That's yeah. it. <laughs> so, pretty simple math. Uh, if Vanderbilt, to me, can get 70, 75 points, I think that's not ETSU's strength right now. Scoring and scoring in bunches is, is not the deal. Yeah, you have to be able to score in the mid to upper 60s and then defend well against this Vanderbilt team. So, For sure. I, I, and if ETSU scores in the 50s, I don't think they're going to win this game either, which yeah. they have they have one game scoring in the 50s. I think ETSU has to get in the 60s and keep Vanderbilt in the 60s or less to win the basketball game today. I think if ETSU only scores 50, I think it's a very uphill climb for them to win the game. Same flip of the coin, if they give up 70, 
I mean, ETSU could score 68, but obviously if you score 70, you lose the basketball game. So I think it's kind of that sweet spot. They have to at least score in the 60s and keep Vanderbilt below 70. And I think that is one of – besides rebound and turnovers, if you just look at pure numbers of what has made Vanderbilt successful in yep. wins and what has made ETSU successful in wins and losses, that's a simple kind of barometer to use. I would agree. Um, and I think it's going to be really fun to watch this game tonight. Um, I don't know that Sunday is going to be as fun just because it's not going to be very competitive against Virginia Lynchburg. Um, that's that's one that, yeah, if you're going to come to a game this weekend, come to this one. Um, if you only pick, if you're only picking one, obviously you should come to both and support the team. But um, yeah, VU Lynchburg has had a, a rough start to the year, to say the least. So. Uh, excited for Vandy to come in. ETSU will have a chance to work on some things uh, on Sunday as well. And then you got a really good game uh, the week after finals. Finals are next week, right? Yeah, Monday through Thursday they are. Yeah, so the week after finals, you get to take on a really good Bowling Green team when you're fresh and you've uh, done some good things on the floor to get you in a position to compete with a really solid mid-major. Want to touch on one thing for Vanderbilt, and then we'll we'll kind of turn the page here. Uh, Yabrian Chambers is a senior. Yes. Reason I bring her up, she has a Spotify channel. She is a very talented singer, pianist, and drummer. Mm. And the reason I bring that up, because when they talk about NLI, right? NIL, yeah. NIL, whatever it is. Yes. NLI is a different thing. That's right. You sign a letter of intent, or you try to make money off name, image, likeness. Uh, the talking about making money part. This is one of the reasons why they were fighting to get this because she's using her God-given ability mm -hmm. to do something that she normally, in old rules, couldn't make any money on. I vividly remember the Minnesota wrestler who put out a rap single and made like $75 off of it and got suspended for a year. If Ian Johnson, the talented running back for Boise State, used to make beanies because his head got cold, and then some fans were like, hey, could I pay you 20 bucks for beanies? <laughs> and he was making beanies, like cross-stitching, and sold them, and that was illegal. He was knitting his own beanies. Yes. That's and, amazing. And for fans. And for 20 bucks a pop, he was going to be deemed and that, And for fiber arts, that's dirt cheap. And I just I just want to stay for the record. This is why it's – and I know it's so easy because, oh, my gosh, the – you know, the, the Bryce Young's getting a million dollars from Dr. Pepper. Like, great, great. But for people who can have a talent that has nothing to do with what they're doing in athletics, yep. they should be – this is why the rule is put in play. And that's the only reason I bring it up. And if you're so inclined to go – which I did. I gave it a listen. I think she's unbelievable, by the way. And I know nothing about music, but it sounds great to me. But I, I encourage you to go give a listen. I encourage you if there's other athletes out there that have a talent or something – you know, that's why the rule's been changed, and I just wanted to bring that up because he's a great example mm -hmm. of why that is a nice change in rule and how she can Agreed. use her name for a skill or whatever you want to call it, talent, to earn money as opposed to just simply playing basketball and somebody giving money as a booster because it's a recruiting tool. And I get why fans don't like that, but this is one of the reasons why it should be changed and it should be there because it is something that she should be allowed 
to do in her spare time to make extra side change. And I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even know. I know Spotify, you can get money, you can monetize and all that. Sometimes you don't, and I didn't check it out further than that. But if she's making a monetized channel out of that, which she can now so that she couldn't before, I hope she does, and I hope she makes whatever she can as a very talented young lady. Now, 6.30 pregame show with Keith Brake, 7 yes. o'clock tip, ETSU Vanderbilt, Brooks Gym. If you're in town, you need, like Keith said, to make that contest. The other thing is I want to bring up that Shea Ralph does have a tie to Brenda Mock Brown. They played on the same AAU team. Really? In North Carolina. And Coach uh, Mock had brought up to me that basically she thanked Coach Ralph for getting recruited by other schools because everyone was there to see her, Shea Ralph. <laughs> and then we're like, hey, this this other girl's pretty good too. Yep. And so she ended up getting a, a full scholarship at Wake Forest. Of course, Shea Ralph went and played at Connecticut, longtime assistant, multi-national championships. Seven of them, yeah. Yeah. And they got drafted uh, by the Utah Stars in the 2001 WNBA draft, played professionally. That being said, obviously, Shea Ralph, coach Brandon Mock Brown, good uh, relationship. They've known each other a long time. Former teammates will be fun tonight inside Yeah, that Brooks will be Shield. fun. I, I'm looking forward to that. And Coach Mock is, um, you know, we all talk about her background at UNC Asheville, but she had a ton of success as a player and coach before that. So um, yeah, this, is, this is somebody that's got a – a really uh, robust background in the game, just as Shea Ralph does, and uh, I think it's going to be great to watch those two match up. Certainly both very high-energy figures on the sidelines. Well, we want to talk to Tim Smith, but before we do that, we want to hear from some other folks in a little segment we call... Say what? Say, say what? Say, 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 what? say what? Say what? Yes, it is. Say what? Um, say right. what? I am. Uh, I'm going to start us out with a written quote here. This one was about half an hour before we taped. Um, <clears throat> quote: No, I didn't get hit in the balls. End quote. From U.S. soccer sensation Christian Pulisic discussing his goal against Iran in group play in the World Cup earlier this week, claiming he did not get hit in uh, the most sensitive area of his anatomy. I think if you give up your crotchial region for your country, they should put a statue up somewhere of you. Now, what that statue is, I'll let you use your imagination. I, I, think, you should, I think there should be a 51st star on the flag for that guy. I mean, I mean that's that's sacrifice right there. He he could care less if he has children again or whatever was going on, but if you're going to sacrifice the crotchial region for your country, I, I, I we need to do something for him. That's all I'm saying. We don't have an official diagnosis on Polisic's injury, but he is expected to be available for the round of 16 against the Netherlands. I I, I do have one thing. It uh, my diagnosis was painful because it looked very painful. It looked extremely painful because uh, he was running full bore and the other guy was running full bore the other way, and uh, yeah. All right, so let's go to. The audio, shall we? Let's let's go. Let's go to the audio. Uh, how about an MVP candidate in the NFL? Maybe the MVP front runner. That might be a little strong, but at the very least, an MVP contender. First day that I met Coach Reed was at the facility. We had like the uh, meetings, like the top thirty visits. So I was in there for like five hours. Just He's just going grilled. through plays, going through plays, and uh, I'm going just gonna give you all the inside scoop. Matt Nagy, who was the offensive coordinator then, he really liked me, so he gave me the plays they were gonna go over the night before. So of course I crushed the meeting. I stayed up all night studying those plays. <laughs> it's like, man, this kid is locked in. We got ourselves a winner here. <laughs> That is uh, Patrick Mahomes on the New Heights podcast with Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey. 
saying that Matt Nagy gave him the plays they were going to discuss the night before uh, he met with Kansas City because Nagy liked him that much and wanted him in Kansas City. All I heard is he's a cheater. <laughs> he's a cheater. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to quote, you know, wrestling on the show, but one of my favorite managers used to say, "Liars always cheat and cheaters always win." So there you go, there you go. The old Jimmy Hart, right? Mouth South yeah, used to say that. So they used to say uh, the only good shot was a cheap shot, which is my other favorite saying. But I, I think if Matt Nagy, who's obviously former head coach, but if he wanted a certain player to be that, then I, why not stack your deck? If if you if if you know. I think it's brilliant by if Nagy wanted to get Mahomes out, no one in Kansas City is arguing with how that went down. And for Coach Reed, he strikes me as the curmudgeon guy that just, you know, walks in there and grills people. And so apparently uh, Andy Reed was not aware of this until Mahomes went on the podcast. Which, again, um, brilliant by Mahomes. It is brilliant by Nagy and Mahomes. And if you're Mahomes, he did exactly what he should do. Yeah, you keep that stealthy until you want at least one big piece of hardware. Yeah. Now, my question is, did Nagy do that to every quarterback and just see who actually did it? Ooh. And maybe Mahomes did better or just did whatever. Did Nagy give everybody that, which we don't know? Or did Nagy give everybody else false plays and everybody walks in and goes well I don't uh, uh you know uh and you uh, say well you can't ha- learn the playbook well what happened was and then you go out. so I don't know I got well, a lot of, uh, I got I think, a lot of questions I think he spent two or three years doing that for Mitch Trubisky besides Mahomes Chicago. is a cheater and I can prove it no good for Patrick yeah. Mahomes he did uh, what I would well do. if you if you think that's hilarious listen to this as the process went on, I got a feeling that I was kind of going up in the draft. I had a couple of teams that said they were going to draft me, and they're, I mean, that's true. Like, it's not like these coaches are making that up. I talked to them uh, during the draft process, and they were like, hey, if you're there, we're going we're gonna to take you. I kind of gave a little inside info to the, the Chiefs, and I was like, hey, if y'all let me go anywhere below. At the time, I didn't know about the Saints, but I was like, if y'all let me go 12 or below, I'm going to get drafted by someone else. You drafted yourself? And so I gave the Chiefs a little, bit of in, a, little bit of, a little bit of info on that because I wanted to be here. That's Mahomes again. He drafted himself to Kansas City. He kept telling them, heck, hey, if you let me go past this pick number, I'm probably going to get taken by somebody else. I'm trying to process. Like, I mean, if I call the Chiefs and say, if they let me go below eight, they're not drafting me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering how much of that is great gamesmanship because, again, you're going on Patrick Mahomes saying, yeah, yeah, all, all these coaches tell me they're they're going to take me here. Uh, yep. You need to come take me. You need to come take me. There's such a cat and mouse with that NFL draft kind of board and moving up and thinking who's doing what and leaking information and stuff. I, I en- Again, I enjoy Patrick Mahomes, A, getting the answers to the test ahead of time and doing the right thing, studying and knowing it. And then be right, wrong, and different. Hey, you guys got to take me here. I'm, you know, somebody else is going to get me. Yep. And it got him where he wanted to be. Did he want to be in Kansas City, or did he want to be drafted as high as he could and make the most money? Who knows? But Andy Reid has been known to uh, be quarterback friendly if you like throwing the football. Absolutely. Um, you know, Sean Payton was probably pretty good at you know throwing the football and getting things going. So if he's playing the Saints, which he said he didn't know, but if, if you're playing the Saints and Chiefs first one, I think it's pretty solid. But let's say it's a running team that isn't going to throw the football. Um, the Seahawks may be interested in him. And Pete Carroll, I could see him like begging the Chiefs, like, hey, hey they're going to come get me here. For the love of all holy, come get me. Please don't let me go there. Speaking of uh, Seattle and Pete Carroll and quarterbacks, <clears throat> quote, I've talked to Mike. I've talked to Russ. Everybody's good. 
It's part of it. It's an emotional game. End quote from Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett on the exchange between Mike Purcell and Russell Wilson on the Denver sideline during their 23-10 loss to Carolina on Sunday. Was that testy? Uh, I would say so. Slightly. <laughs> I'd say a little bit. It was a little bit tense. There was definitely a little bit of frustration, feeling like the uh, offense is not doing the defense any favors at this point. Yeah, I was wondering if Russ told him to jog off the field, uh, which I know that's not what he said. How, how much of that is Russ, and how much of that is Hackett not having an idea of how to game plan for with Russ? <sighs> it's a great question. It's almost like they, they it seemed like they brought – because they had weapons, especially receiver, still have weapons. But it, it's almost like – you brought him in to let him do the what the Russ Cook thing. That was that was a deal, right? Let that, Russ that, Cook. Yes, yeah. that was a whole hashtag movement and all that. And then they basically were like, "Now we're just going to do what Seattle did," and it seems counterintuitive to be honest with you. And then the running back situation has been a little bit of a a mess so much that they had to cut Melvin Gore, Millier, and Latavius Murray wasn't even getting any snaps early. Now's the run. Mm. So there's a lot going on offensively that, that got questioned. But they've got receivers. Russell's proven he can make throws down the field so i i think this is total mismanagement by the entirety bronco staff i'm just like so happy for trevor because a he had to deal with urban meyer last year as a rookie and i don't even know if he had a rookie year and to see the growth he's made not just on the field but just like his preparation his demeanor all that and you knew he's you know when the rock breaks, it's not that one chip. It's all the chips that stacked up before that. And I'm so happy for him. That throw on fourth down to Zay was like, I knew we were winning the game. Honestly, like I could feel it. It was so cool. That is uh, Andrew Wingard, safety for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Felt bad for Trevor Lawrence because he had to deal with Urban Meyer his whole rookie year. Not even sure he had a rookie year. And later went on to say, um, I would die for Doug Peterson, which feels strong, but also very quotable and to the point. Yeah, dying for Doug Peterson does seem a bit uh, strong. That being said, I agree that Urban Meyer stinks and Trevor Lawrence, uh, uh, which was good to see Urban Meyer pick Ohio State over Michigan and then lose that very badly and have to go in there and talk about it. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Ben Paris. He loan ETSU Ohio State Buckeye fan we got but that being said uh that was such a disaster in Jacksonville last year oh, that that unmitigated that does seem like Trevor had a bad kind of go at it and now he's starting to figure it out that last drive watched um watched I was driving so I was listening to it Ken Brown mm -hmm. was watching it so we're driving back from Georgia and hearing Kevin Brown give the oohs and ahs and the, the chuckling laugh that only Kevin Brown can give you when something is going a certain <laughs> way. And then the uh, did watch because yep. it was at a stoplight, so I did get to watch the two-point play, in which was a phenomenal throw by Trevor Lawrence. And he is – and Doug Peterson has been known to be a little bit of a quarterback whisperer. Mm -hmm. said that earlier, but he has been known to make quarterbacks, you know, look better, play better, whatever. So Trevor Lawrence no is starting – to look like what they thought they were getting with the first round pick. Multiple times during the year last year, he looked in the mirror and he asked himself, do I suck? He genuinely didn't know if he belonged on this level because he was so beleaguered by both the fan base and his coaches. And then Mike McDaniel put together a 700 play tape to show him how good he actually is.
That is CBS Sports's uh, Aditi Kinkabwala, sideline reporter for Miami and Houston on Sunday, who apparently un- uncovered this story, did like legit reporting, like original reporting on uh, Tua Tungavailoa and his self-reflection during the end of the uh, the Brian Flores years in Miami and uh, also Mike McDaniel's ability to convince him, hey, you're a good player and you belong at this level and you're here for a reason and we want to make you our quarterback. First of all, I want to know, why do you have to have 700 plays? In, what, what can 250 plays not do? Can, That's can a good just, question. So that my, That's a good question. I got stuck on that. Um, actually, it's, it's like it when you, 700. When, when you were wondering. in high school and you make a mixtape for the girl that you like, right? Or like you burn off a CD, I guess, if you were my age, my generation, millennials. Yeah, tapes, CDs. you had CDs. I get but it. But you, yep. you did tapes, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, How many is too many? Yeah, it's like at some point you need to pare it down, right? You can't just have like a 30-track mixtape. It's got to be like 8 to 10 makes your point. So probably whatever you think you need, cut that in half. But it obviously worked, and also uh, trading for Tyreek Hill helped. And yes, certainly, certainly did. And you know, Brian Flores had that kind of going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like McDonald normally take over a team because they're bad. I mean, ninety some percent of the time in NFL, you're taking over a team because they're bad. They were not bad, right? But there's also a lot of discussion around Flores like not having a good relationship with Tua, basically saying like we should have taken right. He Mac wanted Jones somebody else, and, correct? Yeah, yes, yeah. And you could see how Tua maybe had lack of confidence going in. I, I just was stuck on 700. I don't know. I mean, what is 250 or 300? Not anyways. That being yeah. said, <laughs> it worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting the speedster, and again with with. You know, Waddle and Hill and the speed that is just yeah. on the field. Plus, Jeff Wilson's been a great addition on the run game. I think the as much as it pains me to say anything good about the Dolphins and Matt Wiljum, then um, it does pain me to say that Tua has proven to be a serviceable NFL quarterback. Waddle and Wilson are on my fantasy team, so I'm very enthusiastic about the Dolphins. It sounds like a show. I got I got Waddle in a supplemental draft last year, and somebody said something smart like, Tua's his quarterback, right? And then he went off to be one of the big rookie studs of fantasy football last year. So, um, yeah, uh, I got I got a couple more for you. Quote, Kyler Murray doesn't care about anybody but Kyler Murray. End quote from Patrick Peterson on the All Things Covered podcast. Follow-up quote, quote, this isn't true. You on some weird expletive, P2. You got my number. If you really felt like this as a big bro or mentor, you supposed to call me and tell me, not drag me so your podcast can grow. Kyler Murray in response to Patrick Peterson on social media. Boy, that's very interesting. Uh, former teammates, right? Patrick right. played a long time there. Uh, not many years with Kyler because Kyler hasn't been there that long, but uh, longtime Cardinal takes shot. And the, uh, what's it called? Clapback from Kyler yes, Murray. Yes, the clapback. So, very interesting how that's playing out. I like, you know, Patrick's entitled to his opinion on all that, but I think the coming back by Kyler, sometimes I don't like guys going back, but I don't mind that. Plus, I enjoy the little jab of, you need to mention my name to somehow get you uh, more people listening. Mm-hmm. So... I'd be curious. They play each other this week. 
Um, or was that just generically took a shot? That might have just been generic shot taking. Because that, that that's what that's what where I kind of want to. Because I believe Peterson still plays for the Vikings. Vikings, right? right he does. Yeah. So uh, they they played earlier this year. Yeah. So I, it's a very curious to me that. Uh, and again, I don't know the context because obviously it is just one quote. And we don't know where the conversation mm-hmm. was going and how it went. And I've, we've been in these shoes where people have clipped one or two things we've said completely down the road of something. Uh, so uh, I kind of want to hear the rest of that to kind of know where he was coming from, but I'm also very curious. Uh, but I don't mind. I, I like that Kyler Murray took it, listened to it, came right back yep. at him. Uh, now we'll see where uh, Patrick uh, goes from there. Kyler Murray has had a pretty ordinary year. Would that be fair to say? Yes. I'd say he's a P- pretty Pedestrian, if you will. Pedestrian yep. would also be a good one. Uh, I think this is the last one we got here on Say What. Uh, let's go hockey this time. Just chill, really, <laughs> especially on these back-to-back, so nothing too crazy. Just got to be a little smarter, you know, go into the, into the locker room here, get some Gato in us, and, you know, we'll be good to go for the third. That is New Jersey Devils center Jack Hughes on what he does between periods to get ready for the next period. Uh, get some Gato in us, of course, short for Gatorade. Never heard it called Gato. I've never heard it called Gato. Uh, G-A-T-O, Gato. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I like Gato. I don't know if I like I don't know if I like that one either. But um also it is peak hockey player to take something that's very easy to say and shorten it. Like Shea Weber's nickname when he was playing under Barry Trotz in Nashville, I believe was Webby. I believe it was Webby and Ryan Suter was suits. It's like, are they that hard to say? No, no, but you got to come up with something else to call it so that you can be in on the inside. Like you can be an inside man. Um, yeah, that, yeah, just, just chill, drink some Gatorade and here we go. I got one that I saved because I'm that guy. And again, our local Ohio State, uh, Buckeye fan, Ben Parrish and I, we go a little back and forth as Ohio State, <laughs> Michigan guys, but uh, you want to you know, just you, you want to just re- read that real quick. Uh, this is from Pete Thamel in February. Yep. Uh, sources: Michigan is expected to hire Vanderbilt's Jesse Minter as the school's new defensive coordinator. He's a former Ravens assistant who brings experience in defensive system. And Ben sent that with the caption of "LOL." What did I say? I smell another championship. What did he say? Not with that Vandy defense. What was the final score, Keith? I'm confused. Um, a lot to not very much. 45-23 for those of you checking. Yeah. And I think 45-23. And it might it's probably going to be a similar score against Purdue, I would say. I would hazard a guess. Now, I also want to say that at the end of the football game, uh, which I did not send any gloating anything. I'm not gloating. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I've gloated. Not not yes. not sent any message. Didn't yes. do anything there. But I will say that one team's fan base that is not the Maize and Blue mm-hmm. may have been calling to fire a defense coordinator. So maybe they should have hired Jesse Mentor from Vanderbilt to call their defense because clearly whatever they were doing gave up 45 points. That's all I'm saying. Indeed. Say what? Clearly. Clearly. How about Ohio State just as a team opting out of a bowl game? Like, no, we're not going to, we don't want to go to the Rose Bowl. Take Penn State. 
That is wild to me that a Big Ten school with the amount of prestige and tradition that's attached to the Rose Bowl, they're like, no, we don't want to go to the Rose Bowl. We want to go to the Orange Bowl. We don't want to go to the Rose Bowl. Why don't you want to go to the Rose Bowl? But they didn't sell out their ticket allotment last year. Yeah, like 10,000 less or something. And they had a ton of opt-outs. And so the Rose Bowl was already thinking about going in a different direction anyway. And Ohio State's like, yeah, you should go in a different direction. It's like, wow. People hate tradition. I don't, know, I don't know what you want. I don't know what you want. Reject tradition, embrace modernity. Isn't that – I don't know who said that. I don't, I don't, I don't know who said that. I'll tell you, I do want to hear from Tim Smith. We're going to retire. Talk about tradition, yep. embracing tradition right there. Yep, we're going to do that. We're going to talk to Tim Smith, and uh, we will talk about ETSU and when we're going to retire their jersey Saturday right now. All right, as promised on the Jay and Keith show, we're going to have legendary ETSU Buccaneer guard, all-time leading scorer, Tim Smith, via the telephone. And we do have Tim on the line. Tim, buddy, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I can't complain. Well, let's start with before we get into the Jersey retirement and the announcement. I've known you for a long time. I know this story. But just talk about your journey and how you got to ETSU. Oh, man. Um... I, I I was being recruited um, out of um, Hargrave. I went to Hargrave um, Military Academy, and um, Hillary Scott um, was the person who was recruiting me and staying on me. And um, and it was you know a few skew schools or whatever. Um, and I don't know for some reason you know Hillary Scott just stayed with me even though he didn't believe if he was going to be able to get me or not, but he stayed with me, stayed with me. And, um, and it was just a, a thing where it, it just happened. And, um, and then, you know, then everything else just fell in place. Well, you get to campus and, you know, ETSU had a string of winning a few North division titles, but they hadn't got over the hump of actually getting to the NCAA tournament. Talk about that freshman year, Kind of, uh, you know, taking over eventually the point guard position and playing with two Hall of Famers in Zaki Wadud and Gerald Fields. Oh, it was, um, you know, you come in, you come in blind, you know, don't expect, you don't know what to expect or whatever. So um, when, um, when, and we, it was winning off and on, um, but we finally clicked. Um, but coming in and being the piece that was definitely needed to help. Me and others, you know, of course, um, that came in with me. Um, we um, just helped the team out, man. We um, just made it happen, like, and it just was major because of you know the response of it and like the first year and how everything went. So it was, it was a beautiful thing. Well, it's 21 years ago because that was my first year doing the games. That's how I know that specifically, not to date me and you, but uh, remember, kind of. Yeah. As you said, uh, you know, win a couple, lose a couple, and then right before the tournament, got a little comfort behind win against Appalachian State, and then you go down uh, to the old North Charleston Coliseum. 
Wofford big win, mm-hmm. then you knock off the, the homestanding College of Charleston, and then you get my favorite game in the championship. You get Chattanooga in that 2 3 year. What do you remember about that title game and what it felt like to, to cut down the nets and know you're going to NCAA tournament? Um, Like that run, you know, we had, like especially during the tournament, winning four games or whatever, it, it was – it was just like unmatched. It was a beautiful thing, unforgettable. And um but like yeah, making it to the championship, um going against um what was it, Charleston? Yeah, championship chat. But Chattanooga, so Chattanooga, okay. So yeah, going against a rival at that, you know what I'm saying? So uh, going against a rival, it was just a beautiful thing and um and over top of that, um just like not having that, I guess, um, excitement in 11 years just brought everything back because uh, I just remember, like, after it, you know, everybody rushing the floor and um, then we going out after way as a team with the fans and, the, and you know, the you know alumni, alumnus, everybody. So it, it was just an unforgettable thing. I remember my friends being there, and, and it, it just – it, it truly was a beautiful thing, man, and overwhelmed of everything. Tim, it's uh, Keith Brake. Um, you uh, you were featured. I t- take it back to fall of '04. You were in Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated. Uh, Seth Davis feature on the impact of speedy players in the in, in the college game, and and I know this vividly because a copy, a framed copy of it, hangs on the wall in my office. It's a, a beautiful piece. But oh. what what does that mean to you, or what did that mean to you in the moment to be in Sports Illustrated? What kind of experience was that? Oh, it was definitely experience, unexpected. You know, when it happened, um, but when they came, it was just like a, a like when everything was put together, it was just like, man, it's, it, it feels like, it, it feels like you arrived, you know? And then, then it feels like that, um, your accomplishments and things that you've done wasn't going overlooked as well, especially when it's a sports illustrated where it's a whole thousands of people of, um, college players that they could have dated on. Like, so it, it meant a lot. And I, um, was truly blessed and, and, happy that you know i got a chance to experience it and doing the photo shoot and doing things that i didn't like didn't expect that a lot went into you know photo shoots and stuff like that so it was a big thing for myself and then like and of course for my you know team etsu johnson city and everything that was before the era of text messages and you know uh, smartphones, people blowing up phones, those sorts of things. Just to, to when you when you hit something big like that, what what was the response like from you know friends, family, back home? Um, how did that play with uh, the the people that you grew up with? Yeah, definitely. Um, it um it was it was major. It was big because um, a lot of people like contacted me show you know spread the love show me love um so and just always like you know just just like you know it, it, a lot of people had it so um mm-hmm. it was it was just a, a um a thing that i just really i guess couldn't really I, I couldn't really i can't really think what words to say about it but it's just something i didn't you know i didn't expect and um but the response of it was great. Tim, let's uh, 
talk about year two, and, and I don't want to yada yada. We're going to talk about Wake Forest and Cincinnati and tournament games a little bit later. But okay. uh, yeah. year two, you make the transition from Ed DeCellis. You get Murray Bartow. You know, you lose Hillary Scott, who recruited you. You lose Tom Conrad as assistant. Scott Wager stays on staff with Coach Bartow. You had Will Bailey. You had Mike Boyd. And you guys go on a what has been tied since, but at the time a school record, 16-game win streak, 27-6. and six. You only lost one game, and I think the game-tying shot rolled around and didn't go down at College of Charleston, but 15-1. and one. Charleston. Uh, yeah, so you knew it. That's what I'm talking about. People, always, people remember that one. When I talk about that season, I talk about 16-game win streak, Tim, they all go to the Charleston game. It's amazing. It's the only blemish on the record. And then you guys just really run rampant through the conference tournament, all double-digit wins. You get Chattanooga championship game again. Just talk about having to deal with a new coaching staff, but having the core group of guys together and adding just a, a few key pieces, um, you know, a Ben Roto, Brad Knuckles, those type guys to to the roster. Um, you know, with um, Ben Roto and Brad Knuckles, you know, they came in with me, so – they definitely was there for it all, you know what I'm saying, the ups, the downs, um, and everything. So it, it was a fight. So, um, but, like, you know, when we – it's crazy because I was just on the phone with Gerald Fields yesterday and we brought this up, you know what I'm saying, as far as, like, the run we had, you know. And um, and I was, and I told him, I was like, man, oh, if we could have just got that last one went undefeated. He said, yeah, but, hey, look, it was probably a good thing we did because – after that, you know, we ran through it, like, you know, through the third. I was like, that's true. So, you know, looking back at it, man, I, I still wish we could have, you know, won it and went undefeated and then tried to go undefeated in a tournament as well. Um, but it, it was just like we just, like, we was – because I remember, like, going to um, Hawaii, you know, so we, we lost a few games that we definitely shouldn't have lost, so – but then after the Hawaii trip, you know, that's when we just clicked, got it together, and just went on. But And we ain't look back from there. But after that, you know, like as far as playing for different coaches and stuff, like um, it, it was definitely a, a transition, but it was two different styles of coaches. You know, Chalice was more of a, a, a like, set it up, run your offense type of guy, you know, and Mary Bartow was the type to, like, get out and go and let's break, 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 you know, and then – Losing Hillary Scott, the person that um, recruited me, was a was a hard thing, you know, because, you know, I, I really, like, respected him because, you know, he was the main reason why I was at ETSU. Like, he, he fought for me. He fought for me and believed, like, I was the key piece that they needed to get over the top. So, and then with um, Scott Wages staying on, um, that showed me a lot about, you know, Wages and how he felt about me because we did, you know, kind of had a conversation. And he was just like, "Look, what you, what you going to do? You you going to stay here, or you want to, um, you know, leave and take off and you know do something else?" Because he he just believed like without me being there that he felt like we won't gonna it was gonna be harder for us to repeat and stuff like that. So, but for him to believe in me and stick with me and and stay there, it, it that meant a lot. And our bond just was was unbreakable from there. Let's talk about the two tournament games. The first one was against uh, Wake Forest. You had 22 in that one, and that was a, a two versus 15, where 15s don't get a lot of love or respect. And that was a yeah. solid Wake Forest team, right? Josh Howard's on that team, and 
ETSU was able to take the fight to them and just talk about what you remember about that game and then that really kind of opened up people's eyes the next year and people were predicting the upset over Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So one thing about our team and everybody know when you have a, a Zach Hill, I do in the jail fields, man, we – it, it was no back down, man. It was no back down with nobody, you know. So we had some great leaders um, adding with me and then with Ben Rhoda. And then, you know, then you got James Anthony. Then, you know, like you, you had pieces that fit together and we just had people that wasn't scared. Like we had a slow start starting out, but we kind of got down with that, which is, you know, it's like everybody's first experience. You don't know what to expect, that the bright lights – the crowd, you know, everything, and then you being the underdog. So it, it's just, you know, amazing how, like, we never backed down and we just fought to the end. But one thing about it was with that team, I, I'll put it against anybody, man, because we never, like, we we just, it was just, we were just different. Yeah, and the 04, you guys were a 13 seed, and there's always, you know, 512, sort of that 413 where people love to pick up sets, ETSU was kind of the the flashy pick, and it was another game that came down to the last few seconds. Now, in today's world, Tim, they would have reviewed the play that they called out of bounds on Zaki down in the post, which clearly Mm -hmm. went off since then. I'm still bitter about this, you can tell. Clearly would have been ETSU's basketball uh, with about 45 seconds to go instead of when ETSU did get it. Then ETSU uh, has to play defense, and uh, I think it was uh, Bobbitt. Tony Bobbitt, I think, actually hit the three. Uh, that gave Cincinnati yeah. the 80-77 to 77 come from behind win. But just talk about that and going up against what was a solid Cincinnati, Bob Huggins' coach team. Yeah, so the, the second year, of course, we was already experienced, even though we came to a slow start once again. But once we clicked and got everything together, you know, it was no look back, you know. So, but um, definitely, and that was a big play. I think a lot of people didn't notice. Like, I'm glad you pointed that out. But definitely the ball was out. On, on Cincinnati, and um, it should have been our ball. And it, and it might have been a different outcome because I think either either we had the lead or it was tied. It was one or the other, and we would have had the ball, you know, either with the lead or, or up. And, but with that missed call, like you said, Tony Bobby hit the three, so it was definitely a, deal, a, a bad, you know, situation. But still in all, you know, we still didn't um, – get the things done we still needed to get done afterwards when you know even though even though they made it but that was a big big turnaround you also were a part of the program where it made the transition from the southern conference uh, to your senior year the atlantic sun it was just a lot of a lot of things going either it was head coaches obviously your first couple of years you, you lose a, a guy like zaki and gerald down low mm-hmm. now you get a guy like Delion and andrew reed and some other guys that were able to play with uh, the last couple of years. But, you know, just a lot of transition, yeah. especially going to a league and different type teams and untraditional and the travel and all that. But uh, one thing was for sure, it didn't matter what league we were in, the one thing uh, we know you could do, which was score the basketball. Yeah, um, something I was able to always do, so it wasn't like I just – it was something new to me. You know, I did that from the playground on up from like five years old. So – I was just accustomed to that, but um, yeah, it, it was definitely a, a rough, especially my junior year, it was a rough transition and stuff like that, but then at the same time, I know we had a real good player that came in, and he would have been big for us, and he would have really helped us out a lot, but kind of ended up getting homesick, so like when Christmas hit, he didn't come back, so that was a big loss as well, 
Um, and he was a, you know, he played like the four or five position. So he would have been a big key. So it, it kind of shot us in the foot and, and hurt us a lot, you know. So it, but it was definitely a transition. And then knowing that we was leaving after that, it, it just, you know, just like, didn't know what they expect, you know. Yeah, certainly didn't get any calls. Whenever you leave a league, uh, and this is anybody, you, you generally don't get a lot of calls go your way, that's for sure. But, uh, Tim, yeah. you, you end up passing at the time uh, Greg Dennis uh, for the all-time scoring list, and I, I think it came on a free throw. You finished with 2,300 mm-hmm. points. But talk about your and Greg Dennis's kind of relationship because obviously Greg uh, you know, played different era with Mr. and all that, which those guys always came and supported you, mm-hmm. and you've always come back and supported you know, kind of the next generation of ETSU guys. But talk about maybe you and Greg when you were able to pass him for first all time. It, it was, a, um, you know, the, the one thing about the, the guys in the past where, you know, they came to support. You know, they never, like, felt the way about anything, joked a lot. You could tell why they won and made an impact on what they did, you know, for ETSU and the country. Um, because there's a resilient group of guys, you know, and how they were with each other, you know. And um, Greg Dennis, you know, to this day, all Calvin Talford, like all of them, like KJ, Mr. Jennings, and, you know, they joke every time. Well, Greg Dennis definitely jokes. It's like, well, I took it took me less shots. Maybe something like that. Like, it'd be so, you always be joking and stuff like that. So, you know, so it, it'd just be a, a, a beautiful thing. But, he, they respected and they supported. So that's all you can really ask for. It wasn't like no upset, being upset that it happened. So that's all you can respect from, from Tim, guys like that. Tim, you get to see your name and, and your number in the rafters uh, on Saturday. What does that mean to you to go up there alongside, you know, Greg and, and, and Keith Jennings, Calvin Talford, and so many of the other great players that have come through this program in the past? I really – um. I didn't really think about it like that until like really yesterday when I was on the phone with Gerald um, Fields, and he was like, "Yo, it, it's big." He said, "There ain't many up there," and I'm just like, "Yo, didn't y'all get y'all, you know, number?" Um, and and, and that, he's like, "Nah, we just got invited to the Hall of Fame." But that's why I, I I believe they didn't even get their just retired. Mm-hmm. So he, so it just made me sit there and think. It's like, wow, like that is is real major, you know. So it. It made you, made me just think more, like dang, like I, now I'm really more excited. Can't wait for um, everything, you know, to happen and to see that, like, because it is a humble and most beautiful thing at the same time, knowing that your accomplishment or your success didn't go overlooked, or your hard work and your blood, sweat, and tears that you put into it every game, you know, didn't get overlooked, man. So I really appreciate it and happy to be a part of the other greats as well that came through before me and um and thank the coach Oliver you know for pushing it through and um you know fighting and helping you know helping this happen Tim uh, you know you kind of passed the torch your your last year overlapped I think one year with Courtney Pegram who's third on the all-time scoring list you know Greg Greg is two Keith and Calvin who's going to be up there in the rafters with you uh, four of the top five mm-hmm. scores would be there. I would assume Courtney would probably be the next guy to, to get up there in a few years. Just talk about sort of mm-hmm. you that last year, maybe talking to him and passing the torch and, again, carry, letting him carry on tradition where you went to a couple NCAA tournaments and before his career was over, he got to two NCAA tournaments. So, um, Courtney Pringram, like, 
him playing, you know, coming in and then he was around me for two years, you know, so he was around us, around the team. So um, he learned a lot and got experience and he wasn't like scared to learn. That's what made him so great. Like, you know, he looked at things to get better. And one thing about a player, man, like when you uh welcome to make yourself better and not think that you can't be better or can't get better or you think you should be, you know, get better to make yourself better in your team, then, you know, it um just says a lot about that person. So I already knew he was already a special talent and um didn't know he was going to accomplish that because it's not easy, you know. So you got to put in injuries. You know, you don't know what comes about when you're, when you're playing any any sport. So um so it's just like, it, he he will be well. He has my blessing, you know, because I know he deserves it as well. And um, the accomplishments he achieved, and um, and the hard work he put in for as well, you know. So well, he's Tim, well deserved of it. Tim, it's a, a pleasure certainly to to have you join us here on the Jay and Keith podcast here at all the Buck fans, the Buck Nation, and they're going to show out, I'm sure, in droves on Saturday. Uh, to watch that number five go up in the rafters, and it's a great honor, and I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Same here, and I appreciate everything from y'all, and um, can't wait, can't wait, definitely. All right, Tim, appreciate it. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate y'all. Thank you. All right, see. You. Thanks, Tim. All right, that was Tim Smith. Uh, solid. I probably could have spent another forty-five minutes. On, you easily so could have. Just I love, telling telling old stories. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I could have gone a, a couple other stories, but I the Kennesaw State. I'm sure people want to talk to. There was the dust up there, uh, first year, which is why people hate Kennesaw State because uh, you know they had like a six-eight <laughs> guy kind of sling Timmy uh, over a barricade almost uh, on the back of the basket, and here comes Dillion, and we're playing the feud, and you know that kind of got to it, and then later on the Ron L. Wooten Ben Rhoda deal and all that good fun stuff. That being said. What my favorite thing about that was before I could even get that last second shot that that rattled and didn't go down. Charleston was right on the tip. <laughs> I mean, he knew all those guys that were on that team: Gerald, Zaki, uh, Knuckles, Rhoda, all the guys I talked to. Uh, that's the the one thing they go back to. We were that close to going to overtime because the horn. It was a literally last second buzzer shot. Would have went to overtime. ETSU had had frantically come back, would have had the momentum, probably would have won that, and then would have had the 16 game. But then I think, you know, Gerald probably made a good point to Timmy on the phone was, you know, when they lost that, a little bit of refocusing, then they, they drubbed everybody in the tournament. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was within 12. The championship game was 17 or 18. I mean, they just, you know, if they would have won that with the pressure to stay undefeated, continue to build, you never know. You know, but uh, 16-game win streak uh, with Tim Smith there, 2,300 points. Um, and you look at what what's amazing is is, is kind of greatness plays with, with greatness. I mean, if you look at two, four, and five on the scoring list, all teammates, Greg Dennis, Keith Jennings, Calvin Talford. Yep. If you scroll a little further down, there's a few other guys, 1,000-point scorers that play with those guys, Trezell Silvers. Um, oh, gosh, Major Garrett, Alvin West, all those guys played on that. Then you look at – Tim, well, who did he play with? He got one year of Courtney Pegram, who's another 2,000-point scorer. Yep. Gerald Fields, obviously 1,000 points. Akiwa Dude, obviously 1,000 points. Ben Rhoda was 1,000 points. Brad Knuckles was 1,000 points. I mean, so you start looking at a list, and sometimes it's it's a lot of guys sometimes get credit, and a lot of times it's, it's Mr. and Greg's team, or it's uh, Gerald and Zaki's team, and then eventually it, it, it's Timmy's team, and, you know, it's Mike Smith and Courtney Pegram's team or whatever. But for the most part is – 
when you look at the great ETSU teams, there were multiple. And there might have been a guy that let them in scoring, or a couple guys let them in scoring, but there mm-hmm. were multiple players that understood everything. And the one thing I think Tim said was he was that sort of missing piece to what uh, Zaki and Gerald were missing that freshman sophomore year that they got that junior and senior year. And sometimes it's about guys that at our level, uh, especially at ETSU, that were under a crew. I mean, Key Jennings had one Division One right. scholarship, right? Tim Smith had a couple of offers. Like, Kiwa Dude had, like, none. Mm-hmm. Mike Smith had pretty much offers to play football from about every major team, but he wanted to play quarterback. Nobody wanted to play quarterback, and so one team offered him a basketball scholarship and said, you know what, I'm going to go play hoops. Courtney Pegram was a Prop 48, was going to go to Louisville. They didn't want to take a prop. ETSU said, hey, you can sit out a year, pay your own way. If you make the grades, we'll give you a scholarship. And I think it worked out for both sides. I would and, say so, yeah. And he got it. And I forgot uh, until he said that, that uh, it reminded me he was a prop. And he spent a year with Tim and the rest of the guys. And Deleon, those guys sitting out. Then he got a year with those guys. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you had Mike Smith and Isaiah Brown and Kevin Tiggs. And, yeah, and Kevin Tiggs, I mean, he worked in a uh, car factory, right? Uh, he, he went to junior college late. Like, he didn't start his eligibility clock until he was older. So uh, he, had, he had to go support his family. And, you know, it didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity out of high school. He didn't have any opportunity out of high school. He had a little opportunity out of junior college. He comes here and he puts together one of the best individual seasons that any of us will ever witness in his senior year. It's just, it's amazing how this program has recruited players like that time and time again and, and built uh, a brand kind of on on being the place where if you don't have a, the, the, the interest that you want, you come here, you stay three, four years, and you become a great basketball player. I think it's really a... A, a unique identity that this program has built in doing that. And that what also find unique is the different, the great players at some schools are the same type skill set because of maybe mm-hmm. system or other things. Tim Smith's skill set is, is unmatched because even in him and Jenny's, they get compared because they're under six foot, right? That's basically, but the comparisons pretty much stop there. I mean, the distributor of the basketball, both good at, uh, uh, you know, Tim was probably equal to Keith on the defense still side. Timmy, a more prolific scorer. Keith Jennings, a more prolific distributor of the basketball. You look at that. I mean, Keith Jennings led the nation in three-point field goal percentage his senior year, 53% or something crazy for the season. Greg Dennis was obviously 6'11". There's no other guy 6'11 in the top whatever. Calvin Talford jumped mm-hmm. out of the gym. Courtney Pegram was a prolific scorer. You know, mainly, uh, you know, from the outside, but could do other things. You know, Tom Chilton didn't have a three-point liner. He'd be the all-time leading scorer. I mean, his numbers are stupid, and he only got to play three years because, you know, he can not play as a freshman. So, I mean, you just look at all the different type players. I mean, even even if you look at Mike Smith and Troy Michael, I mean, those guys mm. uh, aren't even comparable. Though. So, that's what I like sort of how ETSU has always evolved and adapted. And that's why when Coach Oliver came in and he was like, yeah, you know, we need to get these NBA guys and this long and in length. And I said, well, before you get too crazy there, I was like three of the top four scorers are six foot or under. <laughs> I said, so. And then you know what? Now you got Jordan King, who, um, you know, arguably is the, the leader of the squad. And what, he's listed at six foot? Mm-hmm. You know, if he is, great. But he's probably – you know, five eleven and a half. Yeah, I, like I think both of the the top perimeter shooters on this team are under six feet tall. Yeah, Tipler for sure is. So, uh, you know, it's just very interesting. Always good, uh, great memories. You know, the nostalgia factor I think is always there for uh, any fan base. But and and he's right. You know, it's funny. He 
had just thought that you know hey you guys got your your name in the rafters well no we know we got put in the hall of fame well probably next step for tim's probably hall of fame next guy probably going to rafters courtney peeger yes and probably venture he'll go in the hall of fame too so a lot of kind of pecking order things and i apologize to greg dennis I, I said he was third he uh he reminded me that he was still second so uh, uh which, <laughs> he is still second which yes. which which doesn't shock me that he has reminded tim that he took less shots in was second place <laughs> yes and greg will probably remind you again on saturday just to make absolutely sure because you already messed it up once i did i did and uh, now the one thing i will say and I, I forgot <laughs> to bring this up to tim but tim made it a point when greg went up in the rafters to to come you know, support Greg. So that, mm-hmm. that's what I like and what I think fan base is like. And Absolutely. The ETSU community and the former players do have that bond. And, I mean, um, you know, Ben Rhoda didn't play with, with Mike Smith and some of his teammates, but when they come to town, they stay at Ben Rhoda's house, you know, and mm-hmm. do it. So it's just, you know, Buck's kind of taking care of Bucks. You know, my guy DJ McDuffie who played with D'Amico Childers who kind of got the ball going in the right direction from from where it had kind of fallen off the map after Mr. and them and Alan LaForce had just retired and the Chell is trying to get it the right way. So, you know, 25 years, I think Buck fans are a little spoiled uh, maybe in basketball compared to a lot of fan bases if you look at from 88 on. I mean, the, the amount of trips to the tournament at, at, at mid-major, are, there's only a couple that, that have had more. And if you look at one-bid leagues, there's there's really only – Gonzaga, I don't know if that counts, though, but uh, it's really about the only other program that's a one-bid league where you take a look at the the absurd amount of trips that uh, – I'd say probably Murray State when they were in the OVC would probably be up there. Yeah, and Mur- there's not, well, and not and, much and, and, that, and Davidson, too, if you look yeah, at yeah, – yeah. You know, but ETSU left the league. But when – you know, you look at the number of, of – and I looked it up a, a few years ago, and it's really like three, three or four teams. Right. I mean, it's not many. No. Uh, for the success that ETSU has sustained over a long period of time. And, you know, just like Davidson has gone to um, the tournament CAA or, uh, you know, the Southern Conference – um, you know, they, they've been able to to continue kind of that. We ETSU did it there, went to the A-Sun, did it, came back to the Southern Conference, did it again in the Southern Conference. So, really doesn't matter what league. The one thing we know is the Bucks are pretty good at basketball. Mm. And uh, traditionally, and even if they go down, it's only down for a short period of time. Tim brought it up. They Their junior year, uh, Chris Mitchell ended up leaving mid-year. They had another guy decide that he wasn't going to come back as well. Then they had a couple injuries. They only had seven guys at the end of the year. When 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 me, Mike Boyd, Mike White, Roger Hammonds are four year five scout teamers, that's not it's not good on the road. <laughs> I, I as much as I would like to think I could shoot and, and emulate some of Davidson's uh, shooters in the corner, let's be honest. Uh, that that's hard. It's hard to prepare for. So there were things out of your control. His junior year they went ten wins. They immediately went mm-hmm. back the next year at sixteen and fifteen. Then Courtney and him took over, got into the 20-win mark again, and so they go on up. So if ETSU basketball is down, it's not going to be down for us. Right, here's a question for you. So obviously we have you know players that define different eras of ETSU basketball. Tim Smith defined his era, you know Jennings and, and Dennis and, and Telford, uh, Pegram, Tiggs, Smith. Who's the defining player of the last decade for ETSU hoops? Who is the guy after that 2010 tournament run that's that's been in your mind, the standout guy, because you've watched it all, who is the guy from the last 10, 12 years of ETSU hoops? Is it Cromer? Is it DeSante? So, is it is it Lester, AJ? I mean, there's a lot of guys so in there. polarizing's AJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he had, just like Calvin, uh, you know, and both their numbers are better than what people think they are. Right. 
you know, because both could dunk. Both were in the dunk contest. Both were globe trotters. I mean, there's a lot of things <laughs> you could go into. Both uh, smile every time you see them. Uh, fan bases enjoy. I mean, they were always out with the kids doing th- I mean, so like polarizing, you know, AJ, I think, is about as polarizing as they get. DeSante, because he was a four-year guy, mm-hmm. I think he certainly grabs everybody's attention. But ETSU hasn't had a whole lot of two-year guys have come in and do special things, Kevin Tiggs being one. The other two you'd have to bring up, T.J. Cromer yep. and then Trey Boyd. Yep. Um, and I think probably the nod, if I had to give it an order, is Cromer, Bradford, Boyd. Um, kind of in those three uh, elements. But like I said, the, the polarizing factor, you know, A.J. is going to get a lot of votes um, just because of, of kind of his personality. But that's a – you know, that, that's a great, great question to, to ponder on. But I, I would say TJ, for me, one, DeSante, two, and then Trey uh, would be three. I'll be sure to bring that up again in two years when we put Courtney's number in the rafters, probably. I don't know when they'll do it, but they'll do it at some point because I think that one is inevitable. I am inevitable. It would have to be – it's definitely the next. Somebody asked that question when I said, hey, Tim's going up there, and they said, well, who's next? I said, well, it's, it's Courtney. It's, I mean – There are three 2,000-point scorers, and now one of them doesn't have his number on the wall. So, And and even if I messed up two and three, you still would have your top three scorers probably hanging in the rafters <laughs> at some point, even if I messed up who's two and who's three. Yes. All right, it was a good show. A lot, of hoops, a lot of hoops. A lot of hoops. Women's hoops tonight. Men's hoops Saturday. Women's hoops Sunday. A lot of basketball. We didn't get a lot of FCS football talk, but don't worry. No, we didn't. We will. Uh, we'll do it next week. I don't know. I'm kind of in mourning. I watched last week intently of everything. I will watch this week. Are, are you compiling an off-season wish list? Can we talk about that on Monday? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Off-season wish list. Yeah. I like it. I like yeah. it. We could uh, maybe go over our uh, is that offense coordinator wish list. Or, can be. Uh, yeah. Okay, we can do that. A uh, lot of lot, portal watch will have to start at some point. Yes, it will. <laughs> we'll have, to, we'll have to do something for that. We'll have to get Gladys involved. Oh, it's you. I, you have no idea no, what I'm talking no, about. I don't ever know what you're none, talking about. None, none. We're going to have to get you a companion cube so you can learn about this stuff. That, that <laughs> sound, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> All right, we'll be back uh, Monday. Portal. Another edition, Janky. Go play Portal. It's a great video game. Oh, you got to be kidding me.